Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. We've all heard that seven is the magic number if you want to be a millionaire, but do you really need that many revenue streams to build wealth? While there's no actual research that's been done to prove the theory of seven income streams, the key word we can all agree is to diversify, especially now more than ever. Why? Because diversifying your income gives you financial security. Even if one revenue stream dead ends, there are others bringing in money to help compensate you so you can always have your back covered. This is also known as passive income, something we're all reaching for and hoping we can secure. But of course, not all of us want to be millionaires. Perhaps you just want to lead a more comfortable life and stop trading your time for money, or at the very least, reduce the amount of time you spend making that money. So for this episode of Work Party, I'm sitting down with Gabby Dalkin to find out how she built her multiple revenue stream empire. She's the epitome of a multi-hyphenate with several titles and business ventures that bring in multiple revenue streams, including being a trained chef, a recipe developer, entrepreneur, food lifestyle writer, author, and founder of the What's Gobby Cooking blog. Not to mention, she has over half a million Instagram followers that tune in to her every word and recipe. It's safe to say Gobby has experience when it comes to managing money in business. So we're going to dive right into our conversation chatting about mastering multiple revenue streams, negotiating brand partnerships, and the lessons she's learned along the way. So let's get right into it. We are so excited to have you here. You are truly the definition of a multi-hyphenate. You have so many amazing titles, author, coach, I mean, just so many different things. Um, But you initially planned to follow a pre-med track in college. Clearly, you made a pivot, which we're all (laughs) pivoting these days. So can you take us back to how this sort of side hustle hobby of cooking ended up being your full-time gig? 
Yeah. So after, well, like halfway through college, I switched from pre-med to business. And after college, I graduated in 2008 and got a job and the company folded like six months later. And rather than go try and find another job, I was like, let's just take it easy for six months. Like I'd saved up a decent amount of money in college, babysitting. And I went to culinary school, like truly just for fun. Like I just went to cook for my then boyfriend, my now husband. And I just wanted to learn how to do cool things in the kitchen. And I started my blog at this, like literally the first day of culinary school. And I also got a job as a private chef the first week at culinary school, which is hysterical because I had no business calling myself a private chef. And then I just kind of like slow rolled what's Gobby cooking into what it is today. Like it was a total hobby turned into a career. I love it. And how did, you know, you went to cooking school, obviously you learned sort of the tricks of the trade, but you really started to develop your own recipes and things like that. So how did you transition from that and sort of what's the art and science behind it? Yeah. So it was actually when I was private chefing for the first family I was cooking for, it was a family of six. Everyone had different dietary things. One was gluten-free or celiac. One was vegetarian. One was a meat eater. So I would take all these recipes that they were asking for and then just kind of put my own spin on them. So they worked for the most amount of people in that family. And then I would like take a picture of it with my point and shoot and the flash and throw it up on the blog. And if you go back to the early days of What's Gabby Cooking, it is straight up hideous. <laughs> we've, yeah. come, we've come a long way. Um, so I just started and then cooking with them, you know, I would cook lunch, I would cook dinner, I would cook breakfast and leave it in the fridge for the next day. So I was cooking an astronomical amount of food every day. So that really gave me the confidence to develop every kind of recipe imaginable. And I feel like today I can look at a recipe right away and tell you if it's going to work or not, just because I've cooked so much food throughout my career for the last 10 years. Yeah. Well, and it's saying, so you launched your blog in 2013. Uh, I launched a blog in 2009, but it went full time. What's got like, I quit private chefing in 2013 and just did what's got me cooking full time back wow. then. Yeah. So early days, were you driving revenue through your blog or when did that sort of start to kick in and how have you approached, um, you know, sponsored content being in the food space? It's very different than the like to know it's and the sure. buy my outfit. So how have you approached that? Yeah. So the first four years of What's Gobby Cooking 2009 through 2013, I was just making like banner ad revenue, which was like $50 a month and like maybe a $200 sponsored post here and there. And then slowly it started to snowball. And in 2013, I was getting a little bit more lucrative deals. So I felt confident walking away from private chef life and trying to do What's Gobby Cooking full time. And then a couple years into that, I signed with DBA and I got a manager who helped me negotiate brand deals. And to be totally honest, honest at first, I took deals that I shouldn't have taken, like with brands that I would never actually use because I was like, oh my God, $500. This is so major. Like this is half of my rent or whatever it was at the time. And I, I don't regret it because it was a great learning experience, but I'm really cognizant now about what brands I work with, because I feel like I could back then I could get away with making those mistakes. And now my audience knows me so well, I would get called out real mm -hmm. fast if I did something like that. <laughs> Totally. And so speaking of brands that you work with, so you have a large partnership with William Sonoma, you have your product mm -hmm. line there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the development of that together and why you decided to partner specifically with William Sonoma? 
Yeah. So that was back a couple of years ago. I decided that What's Gobby Cooking needed to have some sort of tangible product. And I wanted it to be um, a line of vinaigrettes. And I cold called William Sonoma and Sir Latab and a couple other places. And I told everybody my idea. And Sir Latab wrote me back right away. And they were like, cool, can you come up to Seattle? Let's have a conversation. And William Sonoma did not. And I was like, okay. So I went up and I had the meeting with Sir Latab. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. Like, I, like no offense to them, but like, I don't shop there all the time. Like I really do shop at William Sonoma. And then, you know, we were kind of like courting each other back and forth. And then finally, William Sonoma called me back and they're like, can you fly up to San Francisco? We'd love to take a meeting. And I went up and I cooked for a bunch of people on their like sea level staff and told them my idea. And they're like, we love this. We love you, but we're not doing vinaigrettes. Like that's not a priority for us. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, what do you want to do? And we ended up doing a line of salsas to start, which now I know is like not a big performing skew for them, but I think it was like their way of testing me to see how much I could sell. And it was the best performing salsa they had ever had. So from that, and after proving myself, you know, as a salesperson and all that to them, we've been able to develop it into like a multifaceted line. We have, we still have salsas, we have seasonings, we have oils. Uh, we have a what's got cooking cheese board. We have cocktail mixes. Like we've really just kind of expanded into things that I know my audience is looking for and that their audience is looking for as well. I love it. And I always joke with my husband because we have the seasonings and the, and the vinaigrettes. I'm like, I think we have the exact same taste buds because everything <laughs> that you cook, I love. And I'm like, I just always am cruising on your site for recipes. So Thank I'm, you. Like we have a very similar palette. When we're allowed to socialize again, you should come over and I'll cook for you. <laughs> oh my God, done and done. I love it. Hey, new friends. I'm Jackie Schimmel, philanthropist, motivational speaker, glowing wife, animal rights activist, and a shoulder to cry on. Not really. I'm a crazy bitch, but a hoot and a half. If you haven't listened to my podcast, The Bitch Bible, brace yourself, pour yourself a stiff drink, and get ready to laugh your ass off or cry. Make sure you subscribe yourself to The Bitch Bible Podcast right now. You're going to effing love it. So one of the things that I love that you've done, so we have the product line of Williams and Umbro, we have the cookbooks, we have the blog, you've created multiple revenue streams for yourself, which I think right now is something that's a very hot topic with everything that's going on. People who had one revenue stream that's been affected by the COVID-19 crisis are finding themselves with no money, nothing coming in. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about why it was important for you to build multiple revenue streams? Was this something you had always known and wanted to do as it's something that you learned about from other people. Can you tell us a little bit about building the business? I actually think I first heard it probably from you at Create and Cultivate a long time ago about building multiple revenue streams. And I was like, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. And I think I'd already like started it, but I never really was really active about it. And so I feel like you have to, like if your ad revenue goes away, like if brands aren't putting money into banner ads and like that's not dependable, you can't just rely on that. So that's why if you have multiple revenue streams, if one thing goes away, you're still going to be, you're going to be okay until you figure out how to boost that other thing up. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And I love that it was maybe me. who I think it was because I think the first Create and Cultivate I ever came to was in Chicago and whoever you were doing the, like the main stage with, I I vividly remember what I was wearing also. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Oh, remember when we used to go to events? How fun. Um, (laughs) 
okay. So that's amazing. And you've done such a great job of building that out and really creating a name for yourself. So you were saying early on, you took brand deals. You probably shouldn't have. What were some of the early mistakes you made as an entrepreneur, whether financially or with partnerships or deals like that, where you kind of were like, oh, that wasn't great, but you kind of recovered from it? Yeah, I think my main mistake that I made was I didn't know what my brand was when I started. So like I was comfortable taking any kind of brand deal or partnership deal because I didn't know exactly what What's Got Be Cooking stood for. And it wasn't really until like 2014, 2015, when I sat down with a mentor of mine and really mapped out what it is that I stand for. Like I want to be this California girl who makes easy, accessible recipes for everyone, no matter where they live. And I want people to feel like they're in my kitchen and we're best friends and I'm making cooking not intimate intimidating. And so once I nailed all those kind of ideas down, then I could look at branded partnerships that come over and be like, "Mm, you know, like I don't really need to buy frozen French fries. I can make them myself and I'm going to teach everyone to make them themselves as well. So like that was, for example, that was one of the brands that I worked with early on. And I was like, no, I'm not buying frozen French fries, Gabby. Like, don't kid yourself. So it was really learning who I was and what my brand stood for is how I really grew. I love that. You know, it's so important. Me say that a lot of can cultivate to create mission statements. Like what is your brand drink or eat or do? And like, what's the overall vibe? And so I think you've done a really great job of sort of putting that through the content you create. So you have over, you know, I think it's 559,000 followers on Instagram. Can you talk to us a little bit about growing your following? I mean, that's such a, a huge, huge topic that we talk about a lot. Also the photography that you do, you know, everything is super clean and bright and vibrant. Can you talk a little bit about mastering uh, that art as well? Yeah, so... I'll start with the second part of that question. When we started What's Gobby Cooking, I was doing everything. And I will self-admittedly say I'm really terrible at delegating. But I realized about like four or five years ago that in order to grow, I had to be able to delegate certain things. So I hired my two best friends, Matt and Adam, to do all the food styling and food photography for What's Gobby Cooking. So I could focus on doing the brand deals and the recipe development and being the face of the brand. And they take care of all the visuals. And that's been huge for the brand as a whole. In terms of Instagram, that was also a changing point on Instagram because all of a sudden my images were like magazine quality. I mean, they shoot for Matt and Adam shoot for like huge brands. I'm like the smallest of peanuts that they shoot for. But um, it was huge because I was getting all these magazine quality images to put on my Instagram. And I think that gave me a leg up on a lot of other people that were creating food content. And then I would say being super regular about how I like, I always post at, you know, my peak times, I engage with my audience, I respond to every single DM that comes over, no matter how weird it is. And then when the invention of Insta Live and IGTV started, I was one of the first adapters to that because I feel like you have to be a first adapter in order to really grow when these new things roll out. You know, like I wasn't the first adapter when Instagram started. And I feel like if I had been, I would have gotten even bigger, even faster. So I'm really cognizant about that now when new things roll out with a different app. Absolutely. And so hiring obviously sounds like it was a big piece of it. Um, In terms of the people that you hired, is it purely freelance um, or do you keep them on part-time or how does that work? 
Yeah, no, they're freelance. I just have a handful of contractors that I work with. I mean, all the time. Matt is my photographer. Adam, his husband, is my food stylist. Um, I have someone who helps me with like Facebook and Twitter and that kind of stuff. Instagram, I do all on my own. And then I have, you know, DBA that helps me with negotiating all my contracts and stuff like that. And a couple other people that are like integral parts of my brand, but nobody is full time. And that's sort of the new normal. I think like, you know, with content creators, I think people oftentimes are like, oh, it's just you. It's like you doing it. That makes sense. But I think having these teams, and I think that's a good way to also run lean where it's not like you have to have an office and like employees and like all this stuff. You're able to do things quickly, find people that you trust um, and kind of go from there. So I want to talk about your new book. So you've launched three books now. You had Absolutely Avocados, What's Got to Be Cooking, Everyday California Food. And this April, you're launching What's Got to Be Cooking, Eat What You Want, 125 Recipes for Real Life. Talk us through the process of launching books. I know it can be so much research and obviously on your end, so much recipe development. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you've learned along the way and and a little bit more specifically about the cookbook niche um, Mm -hmm. in releasing a book. So a couple things. One, if you write a cookbook, you're definitely going to gain 10 pounds. Just like get it into your head right now. It's happening. But two, I think what's made my second and third book so much more successful than my first book is finding the right editor and the right publishing company who like really gets you and is going to listen to what you want to do creatively and allow you to like drive it visually. My first cookbook, I mean, granted, it was so long ago. I just didn't know better. But now I know exactly what I want on the cover and what color scheme I want and all that and like how we want to shoot it and the layout we want. And I think finding a publishing company, regardless of whether you're writing a cookbook or not, that's going to allow you to drive that is so important because you're the only person who knows your audience and knows what they want. In terms of like the actual logistics of writing a cookbook or any book, probably it takes forever. (laughs) So like we started writing Eat What You Want, I don't know, probably a year and a half ago. We shot it over a year ago or probably 10 months ago and it's coming out next month. So it is a long process. So you have to really be, you know, thinking about what are the trends in food and visuals and what am I getting? Like if I wear something that's super trendy in this photo, is it going to look like crap in a year when it comes out? Like it's so funny to kind of try and play that game, but it's also so fun. Like I I also should say like writing a cookbook is not a moneymaker. Like you don't go into it looking to make money. It's a real marketing play. And yes, you make enough money to like pay all your costs and make some money, but it's not like you're walking home with like millions of dollars and you're like, yeah, it's just, it's not what cookbook life is. (laughs) That is is very, very, very true. But it is getting your, you know, amazing recipes out there and hope, you know, plugging in your product line and all those different things that you can do. So did you get a literary agent um, specifically for your first book deal? Obviously you've had multiple since, but How did that work? I think a lot of people have ideas and want to get out there and aren't sure how to do that. Yeah. So my first literary agent I met through an organization called IACP. It's International Association of Culinary Professionals. It's kind of an old school culinary association. And there are a ton of literary agents involved in that. I'm sure they're all also online and you could easily find them with a quick Google search. But that's how I found my first literary agent. There were two that I was talking to. One took me and one was like, you're not ready for me. And I was gutted. And I was like, okay, cool. And then lo and behold, five years later, she called me back and she's like, I've been watching you and I think you're ready. Do you want to make the switch and work together? And I was like, absolutely. So I switched lit agents and I sent her my proposal for what's got to be cooking everyday California food. And she told me, 
this is terrible, Gabby. And I was like, oh my God, you're exactly what I've been looking for. Like I'm looking, (laughs) I need someone who's good. I don't like for a lit agent. And I love Janice. Like she's incredible. She's like such a lovely human, but I'm not looking for a friend. I'm looking for someone who's going to push me to be the best author I can be and to tell me when my writing isn't cutting it and we need to like flush it out or bring someone in that's going to help. Or I want someone that's really going to push me. And so that was what I learned with doing the first book, Absolutely Avocados. So by the time I was ready to do the second book and now this third book, I felt so secure with my team and my writing style and everyone that was involved and everyone like it's a business. Like if someone says something to me that hurts my feelings, that's cool. Like I'm going to take it and run with it and make my book even better. So it's such a huge learning process for me. I love that. And I think that's such great advice that can be applied to so many different jobs and things like that. I think for me, some of my most challenging and toughest bosses who've been like, this is horrible or, you know, you know, not so much in those words, sometimes in those words, but like, you know, this could be better, you know, this punctuation's off. They made me such a stronger worker, boss, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's like a new thing that like maybe is a generational thing. Cause I love hearing you say like, that's what I want. And I'm not saying way too. I like getting harsh feedback. Um, you know, that's constructive. Um, that'll make you better. I think that's important. But I think it's sort of a new interesting thing where feedback doesn't necessarily equal failure. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's on us. I mean, listen, I grew up in a family of all girls and no one ever criticized. Like I never had an older brother that was like giving me a tough time or something. But when we're on a shoot and Matt or Adam is like, no, Gabby, we have to do it a different way. When that first happened to me, I was so like taken aback and I didn't know how to handle it. And it's made me such a better businesswoman knowing how to handle that kind of feedback or something now. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So I want to talk about what the most rewarding parts of launching your company have been and what have been some of the most challenging. Oh, great question. Um, I think the most rewarding part of what's got to be cooking hands down is meeting everyone that follows me and seeing what a difference my recipes are making in their lives, which is actually one of my favorite parts of my job is responding to all my DMs and my comments on my website and going out on book tour and meeting everyone in real life because, you know, I'm at home all the time developing recipes. I'm in the studio shooting. I'm not seeing everything happen every day. So when I see someone send me a photo or post it on Instagram or have them tell me how, you know, I changed the way they feed their family at a book signing event that gives me all the joy. So definitely the most incredible part of my job. What's the hardest part? Is that what the second part was? Yes. The most challenging. I would say time management. When you work for yourself, I feel like I could be working all the time. And I do. I work a lot. And my husband probably suffers because of it, because he's like, just put your phone down and have dinner. And I'm like, no, I have 900 DMs to respond to. Sorry. But it's hard to like put time into buckets and know when to turn off because there's always something you can be doing. And like I said earlier at the top of this, delegation is not my my strength. Uh, Yeah, I I understand that. I feel like that makes a ton of sense. Um, So when you started out, there was really, I mean, again, this is like you were saying 2009 when you started your blog, early, early, early days. There was probably no competition online. And now, obviously, the food space, all, you know, fashion space, beauty space, it's incredibly saturated. So do you think it's harder or easier to start a business today? And what advice can you share for standing out in a crowded space if someone's looking to launch their business now in this space? 
Yeah, I think there's no better time like the present to start a business. I think there's so many like resources online on how to get ahead and how to set things up. Like I never had that in 2009. I I didn't even think about my name. Like what's Gabby cooking? What does that even mean? Like I didn't even think about it back then. But now I feel like there's so many tools you can use to start everything. And advice that I would give someone that wanted to start, I would just say, go for it. Like no one is going to have your voice and your stories and your point of view. So if you can speak to those, no better time than the present and like get in there and you can always change things. Like we're actually starting a podcast next week for quarantine cooking. And so if we, you know, we, we have the ability to change it down the road, if like, we need to adapt or change the format or bring on guests or whatever it is. Like, I think you always have that option in the digital space today. Yeah, absolutely. Start by starting. I think like, you know, this interesting time we're in uh, with the COVID-19 stuff, you know, similar with Crate and Cultivate, it's like we're testing and trying new things. We're launching ideas that were on the back burner that were something that we were like, that'd be cool to do one day that we're like, okay, we're doing it next week now. Um, so so it's like, it's kind of like ever-changing thing. But like you said, in digital, you can go on Squarespace and launch a site. You can go on YouTube and use Adobe Rush to create a video. Like things that were not accessible at all in 2009 are now at your fingertips. So I think that's really incredible advice. So I was saying you seem to have um, a million different things going on. So I just want to talk a little bit about what's, what you're looking forward to this year. So I am saying, I assume your book tour is on hold for right now, but what's your next big goal and what are you looking forward to as the company continues to grow? Yeah. So the cookbook tour is most definitely going to be postponed. We're probably going to make an announcement about that shortly, but I feel like we're going to spin it into something even more exciting and turn the launch into some sort of competition. And then whoever cooks the most recipes or something from the book, I'm going to fly out to them and we're going to do a dinner party together for 10 people and like turn it into something, you know, super community oriented as soon as everyone's allowed to fly and gather again. Like I can't wait to have a dinner party. So that's probably what's going to happen with the tour. I'm very excited to see where this podcast series takes us. Like, I think it's going to be a a timely thing for quarantine. And then we'll see what happens afterwards if it goes into something else. And then who knows? I feel like we just bought a house. I feel like it'd be really fun to do some sort of TV show or digital show with my husband and I. I feel like in digital media, the sky's the limit. And obviously things change every single day. So we'll kind of see. I mean, who knows? Next week could look totally different. (laughs) I mean, things have never been more in flux, but I think that's all great. I definitely would love to see a show in your beautiful new kitchen. I think that sounds awesome. What's your go-to quarantine meal these days? Uh, Currently, I'm like carb heavy. Anything with pasta. (laughs) I think I've eaten pasta every single night. Oh my God. Every night, every night. And cheese, like I always eat all that anyways, but like it's definitely amped up a bit. (laughs) Your butternut squash pasta recipe is one of my favorites. Yay. Thank you. That makes me so happy. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to end with some sentence finishers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Like hot, 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 hot hot takes. Hot fire, hot potatoes. Okay. When times are tough, I... Uh, Talk to my friends, talk it out. The biggest sacrifice I've made for my career is? Mm, putting my career before some of my friendships. And some friendships have definitely suffered because of that. Oh, I feel you. Um, the biggest career crush is? Um, you. Oh, <laughs> thanks, girl. Um, <laughs> the best business advice I always give? Don't be afraid to ask for what you need. If someone says no, 
Go find someone who's going to say yes. I'm the most productive when. I have so much on my plate. I can't even see straight. <laughs> I'm the exact same way. And this week has been a real struggle. <laughs> yes, it's crazy. I'm always like, we'll do it later. We'll do it later. And Thomas is like, you've never said that before. I'm like, I know, but I have no meetings to go to. So I can do it later. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm just a full plate of panic is what really gets going. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And we're so excited for your new book. We'll be sure to put all the links um, on the site with all the information um, so that everyone can buy that and check it out and hopefully bake some recipes and then have a fun dinner party with you. Yay. Thanks, Jacqueline. You're the best. Okay, bye. Bye. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur the ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.